our best times in Congress, and I think the members that come up here later will, will say that the hour every week we have sometimes is our best hour in the week in Congress. And uh, that, and I got to tell you, the company of these breakfasts <coughs> turned out to be some of the best uh, breakfasts I've had too, because it's an open way of really discussing and getting to know some of the issues we have in Washington. But it's interesting because the bipartisan group, you know, I look back over that and. John's become not only a uh, personal friend and a good friend of mine, uh, somebody I want to miss as he's running for a different office now and won't be with us either, but uh, it all started because John and I both agreed early on, almost a month or two into uh, getting here in Washington, that ideas and issues really can't be solved by one person, really can't be solved by one party, and that our problems are not Republican and Democrat problems, they're American problems, and we really have to be able to work together to solve those things. And if more of us would get together and sit down uh, and talk about issues as Americans versus Republicans and Democrats, and I realize we have, you know, the different party system that uh, continue will always continue to be here. But if if uh, I look back over the times, you know, Sam Johnson said to me, "I remember the day." You know, how do you know Sam? He's been around a long time. He said, "I remember the day that we used to have bipartisan retreats." Now, can you imagine that? He says, I remember the day sitting right next to Nancy Pelosi, and we were talking about issues. Today, of course, and, and this month we just had our retreats, and the Republicans went off on their way, and the Democrats went off on their way, and um, we ultimately, um, you know, are going these different directions. But wouldn't it be interesting if we had a bipartisan retreat? I wonder what we would get accomplished. I think we would get much accomplished. Maybe not that first year. Maybe not that second year. But as we started to get to know each other and realize that we're all here trying to get similar things accomplished, um, and maybe our objectives, I know our objectives are the same, maybe the way we get there might be different, but I do think what's worked out very well for me, and I'm hoping my colleagues uh, are able to say the same thing to you, is that when you sit and talk every week for an hour, which is what we do now, um, you start to learn that maybe there are ways to get to the same place together uh, and it's not, and we're not really that far apart. So it's been a great uh, group, and uh, at this point, I'd like to invite the members up here, Larry and John and Derek and Scott, because what I thought would be good is for not for me not to talk as much as for them, and you really get to hear. <coughs> now you see, it's kind of interesting too because. We only have two Republicans and three Democrats, so we're outnumbered a little bit. But um, I don't think that really matters. But uh, what I thought we could do today is uh, let each one of them reflect on their thoughts um, on the bipartisan group, what it's meant to them, and then I think we're going to open it up for some questions. So, Larry, why don't you? I'll start. First of all, Larry Bouchon from Indiana's 8th District, and I'd like to thank Jim Bernacci and John Carney for what they've done with this group. Uh, um, this is a great group of people. And uh, like Jim said, we sit around and, and talk about issues and we try to find areas where we can agree and have common ground and we've had that happen. John and I did uh, legislation related to drug shortages a number of a couple of Congresses ago. We've uh, done some legislation on veterans and uh, all kinds of things that have actually got signed in law. And Jim could probably tell you how many things we've done that have actually into law. So uh, I, I think it's really, really important hour 
that we have every week. And uh, I have a conflict with my doctor's caucus because I was a surgeon before, so sometimes I don't make this meeting I have, when the doc caucus has um, people like the VA director there and things like that. But uh, but I really enjoy the week. Uh, I've really enjoyed working with uh, everybody uh, in the bipartisan working group. Uh, and we've actually made progress and got some really important things done. You know, things a lot of people around here would consider small ball, but if they affect you out there in the community, uh, nothing's small. And so uh, uh, with that, I'll, I'll pass it on to, uh, to John, John Carney. Good morning, my name is John Carney. I'm from the great state of Delaware, and I'm just happy to be here this morning. And I appreciate the fact that uh, once I regretted, you allowed me to come back on the panel, which is why we have more Democrats than Republicans up here. Normally, since I'm really close, I do the Joe Biden thing and take the train home and come back in the morning, but I have a vote uh, on committee at 9 o'clock, so you might see me run out. This is the best hour of my week. It enables me to do, frankly, what my people in Delaware expect me to do which is get things done. How many people remember Mike Castle? Just about everyone. Mike Castle kind of represents what Delaware politics is all about. Somebody who kind of puts ideology behind. He's a Republican for sure. Uh, but when, uh, when he lost his election in the primary, he was still favored by 70%, was looked on favorably by 70% of Delawareans. And he represented what? is a tradition in our state, and it's called the return day tradition. And it goes to the point uh, that Jim was making at the outset. We have a, a ceremony the Thursday after every election, every two years, in the lower part of our state, in Georgetown. And it's been going on for 100 years or more, and it basically reflects a day when the election results were announced by the town crier in the town hall in the circle in Georgetown. And all the winners and losers ride together in horse-drawn carriages. That's a tough ride. <laughs> uh, and they come together and they sit there on the stage as the high school bands come through. And at the end of the ceremony, they actually have a, a, a ceremony where they bury the hatchet. So the Republican chair and the Democratic chair and the third party chairs come up to the stage they take a hatchet, they put it on a box, and they cover it over with sand from Dewey Beach. There are a few people who tell me Dewey Beach stories before we started this morning. <laughs> what happens in Dewey Beach stays in Dewey Beach. And it's symbolic for sure, but the message is really clear, and that is that the elections are over. We're Republicans and Democrats for sure, but we're Delawareans first. We're Americans first, as we try to grapple with some of the issues We've done some small ball things, but now, each week when we get together, we really talk about the big issues, which we didn't do much, frankly, at the beginning. There's a comfort level that is. And if you're in the minority like we are, you want to get something done, you want to find out what's happening, you better have a group like this where you have people in the majority who knows what's going on. Jim, Jim Renacci is a, a great representative of his district, and he's a good friend. And this has been, this, this committee, this breakfast group has been, frankly, the best thing that I've done as a member of Congress. I'm moving on, running for governor right now. But I will never forget my friend Jim and Larry and the rest of the group uh, on this group. Thanks for having us this morning. And I'm Derek Kilmer uh, from Washington State. I, I want to echo the uh, gratitude to, to Jim and, and to Kearney for starting this effort in the first place. 
I agree, it's the, it's the best hour of the week, in part because it's a safe place where we can talk about tough issues, and we're now at the point where uh, you know we pretty much talk about any, everything. We usually spend the first part of the meeting talking about what's cooking in the Congress uh, this week, what issues are coming up, what bills we're voting on. And then sometimes we'll have uh, opportunity to go around and talk about things that we're interested in, things we're working on, how we may be able to work on those things together. I actually think that's unfortunately unique uh, in the Congress to have those sorts of conversations. Um, you know, I, I represent a district where people, quite frankly, don't give a rip about whether we get more Democratic or more Republican or more to the left or more to the right. They just want us to stop moving backwards and start moving forward. And I think a group like this is one that engenders that sort of effort. Um, you know, I don't want to mislead you into thinking that we uh, spend an hour holding hands and singing kumbaya <laughs> around the <laughs> We don't close our eyes and do trust falls into each other's arms. Um, we stopped doing that when we dropped Mark Amaday. I'll, I'll give a, a couple quick examples. So, as an example, we had a few meetings where we invited in Maya McGinnis from a group called Fix the Debt, and we went through what I refer to as the big ugly spreadsheet of options for trying to address our nation's long-term fiscal health. And what was kind of incredible coming out of that was just the number of things where you could actually find some agreement between Democrats and Republicans, so that you know maybe you can hit some singles and doubles. We brought in uh, Trevor Potter, who was a former FEC commissioner, was John McCain's campaign attorney, and was famously uh, Stephen Colbert's uh, attorney for his fake super PAC, People for a Better Tomorrow Tomorrow. Uh, and he talked about the challenges at the Federal Election Commission, which you know was set up as an independent watchdog uh, and is now almost as dysfunctional as Congress. Um, when they had the 40th anniversary of the FEC, um, they literally stalemated on whether to serve bagels or donuts. That's not a joke, they actually did. Everyone knows the right answer is donuts. And so coming out of that discussion with Trevor, we actually introduced what is the first bipartisan election reform bill since McCain-Feingold more than a decade ago. So those are the types of things that happen when you talk about tough issues. So that's it for me. Good morning. First, I want to say how shocked I am that uh, Derek's so anti-bagel. <laughs> um, so, I first I want to thank, thank everyone for the invitation. I want to thank uh, uh, Jim and John for inviting me to join this term. Um, it's, a, it's a very, very important part of the institution, I think. I come to uh, Congress, I was the city council president in San Diego. We had an odd thing of actually voting on stuff, so we had a practice where if we would something would come before the body, we would take a vote. If we couldn't agree, we might continue it for a couple weeks and fix it. And then we would um, you know, finally resolve it and we would see action happen and that seemed like the way things were done. So when I came here, I was actually surprised that that's not the ethic, that you know you don't just put everything up for a vote. Even with uh, hundreds of co-sponsors, we were talking about, you know, you get some of these bills that are obvious uh, areas of agreement and we don't vote on them. So I would say, I'm from San Diego. I don't come to D.C. for the weather. <laughs> Maybe different for Derek. He's from Washington State. Um, but uh, this is a great place to find where people sit around and actually discuss. Um, we discuss the big issues. We're not going to solve. We're not going to do a tax reform or immigration reform in this in this 
um, in this room, but uh, there's so many important things, so many things that are important to people that we agree on and that we might have a prospect of moving forward on. So, and I was able to find a Republican co-sponsor in Jim Renacy for a bill I'm working on for community resiliency in the face of, um, of you know, major weather. Uh, you know, so we don't have to spend 100, $135 billion off budget to deal with these, uh, these disasters. And um, you know, that's the kind of thing where we could find some agreement and, and move forward on. Um, and I just think that um, Congress is really stuck right now. If it's going to move ahead, it's going to be because It'll be because there's a, a room like this where you can go uh, find out that you do have things in common, you can develop some trust, and um, you'll also hear some stories about how, even in the context of elections, uh, people will say honest, uh, complimentary things about each other in a way that's, I think, really constructive for the body. So it's a pleasure to be involved in the group and um, to be with you this morning. Well, thank you all. And, and again, it's kind of interesting because as the group got together, John and I used to say, well, let's Let's make sure we have people from all across the country. And if you look at what we have here, we have from sea to shining sea. We have uh, all the way from Delaware to California and uh, uh, even Washington State. So this is the type of group we have. And as you and and uh, when it comes to legislation, I'll give you a, a piece of legislation that actually passed this year. It's called the Information Reporting Simplification Act of 2015. Uh, here's an example of something that started between myself and the tax commissioner, who most people know is in the administration, and, and uh, I brought that piece of uh, uh, legislation to the bipartisan group who backed it and supported it, and it actually became law as part of the omnibus, which shows you that, uh, I don't know what the statistics are now, but at one point in time, we had over 15 pieces of legislation that came out of our group that either uh, was passed out of the House four or five that actually made it to law, this will be another one that has made it to law. So you heard about small ball, and you, and you could say, well, those are small issues, and maybe we're not going to get comprehensive tax reform done as a group, but we are able to get some of these simple things done. Now, this piece of legislation, to give you an example how simple it is, some of you get 1099s and, and uh, from whether it's a banking institution or a financial institution, and then all of a sudden, two months later, you get a different 1099, and it's $15 different or $25 different or $35 different, you have to file another return in many cases or think about it, the financial institution has to send out all those new uh, information forms, 1099s. What this bill said was anything under $100, the financial institutions don't have to worry about and you don't have to worry about either. So that's not comprehensive tax reform, I understand, but that's just good <laughs> common sense, <laughs> which does come out of this group. So uh, this is the kind of stuff that we work on and as you heard some of the jokes, that also occurs. That's what I say. This is, in many ways, the best hour of our week. But uh, with that, we can open up for questions and see if you have any thoughts or questions for the group. Scott Salmon, you did a great job with your intro this morning. Uh, you can either have the first or the very last question. Well, I'll just ask, what do you think the prospects are for any big bipartisan legislation this year? And I know energy is kind of maybe the one, but is there anything other than energy? Well, I'm going to let them answer too, but my answer, <laughs> my answer would be this. If the five of us got together, we could get some big bipartisan things done. And so there's, there's an answer there, but it's hidden in the sense that it's really the body that's going to get it done in many ways, and it's the parties that aren't. But. I'll, I'll just comment first. Yeah, I think on, on taxes, we have, we have a potential opportunity. Um, especially with the uh, with the multinational type taxation, you know, 
companies that are affected by that. I mean, we're seeing more and more inversions where I mean, American companies, publicly held companies, that are acting in the best interest of fiduciary interest of their owners, which are the public. Um, uh, but this, the laws are set in a way that it, that they're, I won't say forced, but they're encouraged to do things that are that I think that we can change, that will be beneficial to the American people, will continue to create jobs in America, and will make American companies more healthy. So I think there's a big opportunity there potentially this year. Well, Jim or, Jim or Larry would know better what, what has a chance of passing in the house than us three, but uh, I would agree with both Jim and Larry that international tax reform ought to be right up at the top of the list, and it would start a cascade with tax reform on the corporate side here in the U.S. You know, people don't realize that going into last fall, there was a proposal in the Senate the president had a proposal, there was a proposal in the camp bill in the House to do some sort of repatriation, which would lead to international tax reform. And the, and the imperative for it is staggering to think about inversions, to think about loss of revenue base, uh, BEPS, referred to as BEPS, for those of you who have not heard this jargon. And I would say two-thirds of our colleagues don't even understand what's happening. When you say, Jim? Uh, but it's something that we ought to get done. You know, the administration on repatriation was at 14%. The proposal in that Senate was at 9% or something. Camp's proposal was 8 I mean, look. In Delaware, we would have done that in 10 minutes. <laughs> City Council in, in, in San Diego, probably the same. We ought to get it done, whether, it's, whether it can get done. I, I don't, it depends, I guess, on leadership on both sides. So I'm a genetic optimist, um, and uh, I swear, I, so I came out of, a, a, of the state senate in Washington state where the last three bills I got to vote on were uh, a budget, uh, a debt reduction proposal, a constitutional amendment to reduce state debt, and a big jobs bill, a big $2 billion infrastructure bill. And of the 49 members of the Washington state senate, the budget passed with two no votes. The debt reduction proposal lost seven liberal Democrats, and the jobs bill lost one Tea Party Republican. But other than that, everybody voted for all of it because we worked on it together, we wrote it together, and we passed it together. I think there are some systemic challenges in doing that, uh, you know, in doing some of the big stuff here. In part, you know, it's, uh, you know, in, in, hard, in part because it's hard, right? So. Congress hasn't always demonstrated the ability to do easy things, let alone hard things. And it's made more difficult by a legislative calendar where, listen, we're not even, we're, we have less than 100 legislative days between now and year's end. Um, you know, so there are some impediments to getting things done, but again, I'm, I think there's both a, I have a sense of urgency, not just around tax reform, but around a number of things that I think ought to get done, and I certainly hope that we can. Yeah, I'd share the same sense of urgency. I do think that there's some, you know, Congress can, can move by leadership or by crisis. And I do think that the international tax um, situation we're in might provide some, uh, enough reason for us to do something in reaction to that this year. I do think that that's very worrisome for, for American competitiveness and business. I do think that there's also um, some chance of criminal justice reform. Uh, sounds like that might be on the table. Um, but I do think that a lot of the big stuff is going to wait until after the presidential election. So we're all biting our nails over that.
<laughs> Larry started our meeting the other day by reading the definition of what a socialist was. <laughs> for, the, for the benefit of us Democrats who apparently have lost our, our parents. <laughs> You have to admit you thought it was. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I had forgotten what a socialist Before we take the next question, it's kind of interesting because you heard you heard this international tax, and I know a lot of people feel we can't get it done. Um, the BEPS issue. I mean, we did not even have a hearing in the Ways and Means Committee, so I brought, was it Jackson? I can't remember. Stack. Bob Stack. Bob Stack. Oh, Stack. I brought Stack into the bipartisan group, and we had a basic hearing, I would call it, where we were able to ask questions, and most of the members of the bipartisan group were going, how come Ways and Means isn't doing it? This is important stuff. we got to get this done. So the only reason I bring that up is it shows you, and I, one, of the, one of my colleagues said, most members don't, don't even know about it. It's the problem, because international tax reform and comprehensive tax reform is an issue. we got to get done. But when we don't even have people, but, and now since then, Ways and Means has had stack. In, but we actually had him had him in our bipartisan group. Correct. It's great. Uh, it sounds like you guys have had some great successes in 2015 as a highway bill. A lot of other small, like you said, small balls that are important. I just heard the group talk about working together on international tax, which seems to be something that the speaker and maybe even the White House want to do. How do you guys pick issues? How does it? Do you look at say yesterday's meeting between Ryan and Obama, and they talked about common ground on anti-poverty, or do you look at? issues that come up from just rank and file who come up and say, here's an issue that I don't think any of you paid any attention to. Do you look at kind of what's going on at the top level and what where you think you can help bridge potential solutions, or do you look at things that are uh, bubbling up that you don't think anyone looks at? Well, one of the things that, just to start, we, we had a dinner um, in January, so we kind of had our own little retreat, and, uh, and in that meeting, in that dinner, we talked about a number of things that we believe could uh, could be important issues for us. So that was our starting point. It was kind of like our mini retreat. And from that point, we came up with big ideas, small ideas, um, and uh, I don't know if the gentleman want to add to that. Yeah, for example, we, national security is a big issue, man. So we have a couple people that are on, are on homeland or work. And people say, well, what, have we really looked at what the 9-11 Commission report actually says? One of them, uh, it's a, a loop of, uh, Lou Barletta. He says he brings it to all his homeland meetings, you know, and looks through it. And so we're like, well, maybe we can find some common ground on national security issues as it relates to what was recommended in the 9-11 Commission report that hasn't been done. And so right now, we, our bipartisan group, people are looking through that, and we're trying to finding areas in the 9-11 Commission report that we can address. That's one of the ways. We also have member initiatives. People just bring in their own legislation and make their pitch. So, I mean, these guys can come. There's other ways, too, but it's, it's, it's a combination of things. Any other questions? Uh, I think the consensus seems to be that the Trans-Pacific Trade Agreement is probably off until the lame duck session. But considering you're a bipartisan group, and it seems like the extremes in both parties have already come out against the... Uh, the agreement uh, without really getting into a lot of the details. Do you see a role for the group in that area? Uh. <laughs> 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 
Derek and I are, are pregnant Democrats. So from my perspective, it would be fine to vote on it tomorrow uh, and, and uh, uh, rip the band-aid off, I guess. Um, I, but we don't have any control of that. I th one thing I would say, too, which is interesting for us, is that um, our colleagues are frustrated with, with their leadership, too, on the Republican side. And you know, there's been some discussion on how many co-sponsorships do you have to get to get a bill uh, through. And so there's something that's both important, it's got bipartisan support. All logic would tell you we should vote on it, and you know, obviously we don't know. Maybe you do have some better insight on that, but it's interesting for Democrats to be able to talk to Republicans, and then um, you know, sometimes we say, people really think that in your district? And yeah, that's the way they think. And so it's really good to get a good perspective so you can kind of see where the other folks are coming from, literally where they're coming from. I, I would only tell you that those kind of, anything that has strong bipartisan issues, we usually try and keep out of the group just to not cause any issues. But um, when it comes to this stuff, this is going to find its own way. The president really has to step up and do something here. I think if the president steps up and, and pushes, that will really empower the Democrats to move it through. And I think the Republicans are somewhat already there. So that's, that's how that's going to move. And I, I doubt it's going to get anywhere until Wayne Duck or probably into the next session. discussion among our group, but I think one of one of my colleagues said it best. We usually get things done when either leadership tries to move it or there's an emergency situation. Um, the emergency situation will probably come up, which will cause us to move. Now that's, I think we all agree when we meet every week that we shouldn't be moving things based on when leadership wants to move them or when um, there's an emergency. I think what we believe, that's why you heard uh, co-sponsors. I mean, I'm a, I'm a big believer in regular order. Now, the definition of regular order can go in all different directions. But I do believe that if you have a certain number of co-sponsors, which I think is what we were relating to, because this week I'm trying to get bills now of 150 co-sponsors, because I'm going to start to push this regular order thing. I mean, if, if I have a bill with 150 co-sponsors, I believe that should get some time, that should get a hearing, that should get something moving. Um, it was part of the uh, unity plan that I drew up uh, uh, back in October, and I'm a big believer that that's the way you're going to get members Republicans and Democrats to start filling their part of the process. If you really want to fix things, again, our problems aren't Republican or Democrat. They're American problems, but every member has to feel like they're empowered, and I think we need to have some type of regular order. Doesn't mean it has to pass, doesn't mean it, but at least has to have a hearing. So I think when it comes to something like Puerto Rico, I mean, if, if uh, somebody steps up, puts a bill out, gets 150 co-sponsors, those are the kind of things we should be moving. It, it was certainly a hot topic in our caucus uh, coming up uh, upon the omnibus, and a lot of the members who ended up voting for the omnibus did so with a promise from the speaker that this was going to be put on Congress's agenda in the new year. Derek, I'm, I'm so sorry. I just got a note from your scheduler. 
you were due over in the cannon at five minutes of nine yes. with all your constituents from the state of Washington. Yeah, I, I, I have one for the, the, the two remaining, the three remaining. We just did a, a nationwide poll, Thanks, John. Um, and it was dealing with the middle class. And my question to the three of you, what are you all doing to help the middle class? Because there is a growing sense of not even being upset. There are folks out there are past being upset. They just want to see something, and, and they're ready to throw everybody out and start, start all over. Hence, the Donald is doing so well. Please. Well, I'll, I'll start, first of all, why I mentioned tax reform. I mean, I, we, my dad was a uh, UMWA coal miner for 34 years. You know, he had a good, solid, middle-class job. That's why I'm here today. Um, and uh, I think there's a number of things we can do to help help the middle class, and the best thing is to create an environment in the, where America is the best place in the world to do business. And uh, there's a lot of ways to do that. It's complicated. Taxes is one of those. The regulatory climate, you know, needs looked at every generation. We need to look at that again. Um, and there's, there's, you know, trade, our trade issues. We've got to make sure those are done properly that, so that we don't lose uh, middle class employment. Um, there's, there's just a multitude of things that Congress can do, big picture. At the end of the day, again, the climate needs to be set where the private sector <clears throat> can thrive and create good paying jobs. The other, one other thing I'll say real quickly is, that as, is as it relates to education. We really, really need to address what I consider a bubble about ready to burst, and that's the cost of higher education. Uh, I, I went to University of Illinois. I'm not sure I could go there today. It's the state school, land grant for the state. $25,000 a year, $30,000 a year. My dad was a coal miner, mom was a nurse. That's, that, we're gonna have to address that in a big way. Or because uh, one of the things that, and I think people on both sides of the aisle have said it, you know, uh, it is such a big issue, you know, it, it really goes against the American, the American dream. Where if you if you put up roadblocks for people to get education, uh, you're not gonna people aren't gonna be able to get there. People like me are not gonna be able to do the things that we've been able to do. Those are a couple of things. I agree with Larry. Actually, my dad's a minister. I tell that story all the time. I couldn't have gone to Duke University without the grants and the financial aid and the um, and every kid should have that opportunity. And that's getting out of the reach of people even at public universities. So I agree with Larry. Um, I I offer. First of all, on the academic side and then on the institutional side, Harvard Business School has done a study that interviewed CEOs of the eight things that, and identified the eight things we need to do to make sure America is what Larry said, the most competitive place to do business in the world, raising not just corporate profits, but profits for workers. And they're all things you know we should do. One of them is trade, one of them is tax reform, one of them is immigration reform for high-skilled workers, a better federal budget, regulatory streamlining, uh, investing in infrastructure and scientific research. Uh, and, and these are all things we know we have to do. And that's, the, that's I think, the frustration of Americans right now that you're seeing play out in this uh, presidential election, is that these people are not doing, the, Washington is not doing the obvious stuff that we need done. And um, it's an ethic here that I think uh, it's remarkably, it's easy to get um, inward looking in, in D.C. 
frankly, I think there's too many easy races. I mean, I'm speaking to someone who never has one. Uh, but I think it's good to have to go out and talk to voters and hear, hear what they have to say and hear their frustration. I think a lot of people um, up here on the Hill, and none of the people in this group, by the way, because uh, even if they have easy races, they're focused on getting stuff done, but are just focused on, on being here and not enough on what we need to get done together. And I think we need to restore an ethic in Washington that we need to do the people's business. And I think that would assuage a lot of the, the frustration that we're seeing right now. But that's what this group's about. You know, I would just add one other thing. It's kind of interesting. I grew up also the same background. My father was a railroad worker. My mother was a nurse. Uh, my dad lost his job. We didn't have very much. We sat around the table. We we're lucky to have one TV to even watch. But we never talked about Washington. I, I think back about those days. We didn't talk about Washington. We didn't talk about tax reform. We didn't talk about anything. We just talked about the opportunity. My dad, we never worried about the rich guy, the poor guy. We just worried about what's the next opportunity. But if you remember, there was never ever this Look at Washington, how dysfunctional. Now, you see that all the time. You hear about that all the time. That seems to be all part of the national discussion. And I think the first place we can start here is to start working together and getting things done. If we were getting things done on a regular basis and moving the ball down the field, you don't have to score a touchdown. I always say this, you know, you just got to move the ball. I owned an arena football team. We didn't have to win every game, but we filled the stadium just because we were able to move the ball down the field. If we can do that more often, I think people back home and say, well, this is a great country. This is a place, I, you know, but what happens is we get home, we watch that mm -hmm. TV set. Now everybody has 10 TVs in the home instead of that one. <laughs> um, but what do we hear? Well, there's dysfunction in Washington. There's all these issues in Washington. I really believe that if this group, this bipartisan group, was able to filter and become the Congress in the sense that we're going to all work together, that's going to change the whole perspective back home. Now, that's a big challenge. I realize that. Because I start every, every one of my meetings back home, people say, what do we need to fix this? I say, we need to fix it right here, right back home. Because Washington is not going to fix it. Washington is, can help, can hurt, but the way we fix things is really back here at home. So this is why I really love this group every week, because this is the, these are the type of meetings that will change how people feel back home as well. So uh, any common ground on any health care issues? Uh, small ball or otherwise? Well, we already did. We delayed the medical device tax. We delayed. We delayed the. the we did SGR, which was uh, needed to be done. It's a. That's one that not many people know about. Sustainable growth rate for people who don't know the way Medicare reimburses providers. Um, we uh, delayed the Cadillac tax, which was going to hit just tons of businesses. Uh, and uh, you know there was so things like that. I think. And, there, and if you look at um, healthcare, I'm a healthcare provider. I was a heart surgeon before. Uh, yeah, I think there's opportunity. Uh, I think you know, on big pictures, big picture stuff. You know, repealing the healthcare law on that. No, of course, that's not going to happen. But you know, when you talk to people again, what Jim just said. When you talk to people out there, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, you find real problems that are in 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 law, whether it's healthcare law or any other law and you try to address those, you'll make progress. So I'm pretty optimistic that there are certain things that we can, we can do that both sides agree need to be addressed. We've already done some of those. I would also tell you, John Carney had a bill, this is kind of interesting story, because John had a bill that was going to change the ACA, and uh, 
uh, it was minor, but there was a lot of pushback from his side. And I forget, he called me up one day and says, would you be willing to come down on the floor and help me defend it? And he called others in this group, and ultimately, we all went down, and that bill actually passed also. And it was a bill that changed just a minor piece of the Affordable Care Act. It dealt with a business in his uh, district. But we had Republicans and Democrats on the, no, we had Democrats on the floor arguing against it. We had Democrats on the floor from this group arguing with it. And then we had Republicans arguing with a Democrat bill. And we got that passed. So these are the kind of things I think we can work on together. Right now we've reached the um, appropriate, uh, the accurate proportion of Republicans and Democrats. <laughs> I'm getting the signal I got to go to, so I'll just say uh, thanks everyone for having us. Thanks to my colleagues for, uh, for being uh, generous and um, productive and constructive. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you all.